around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Great, Ben. <laughs> really, uh, really psyched about seeing the absolute headwaters of Star Trek. This was like the primordial ooze that Q talked about. Yeah. In the, in the final episode of TNG. Like, this is where <laughs> Star Trek got up out of the goo and walked. Yeah. And you could say it wasn't even successful, right? They didn't even buy this pilot. Oh, the, did they not? No, it was buried until 1986. Wow, I didn't know that. Isn't that nuts? It was on Gene's fucking basement shelf. Like, he would take it out to uh, to conventions and stuff and show it to impress conventioneers. Wow. But it never got released to the public until 86, and that... At, that does not seem to me like a thing that would fly nowadays. Like, you could not keep something like this secret for for 20 years. It's crazy. Did it air and then get buried? Or, or No. Roddenberry, like, got the budget, put together the team, made the show, NBC passed, and then what they did is they ended up getting uh, NBC's, like, cool... Uh, not really what we're looking for right now. Why don't you make another pilot? Wow. And so they did. And the other pilot is what ended up being, uh, it's kind of a weird like order of operations, but like the pilot they ended up making ended up being episode three of, huh. the, of the original series. It's called, uh, I think it's called, uh, where no one has gone before. Wow. If you look at the order of season one, the original series. It's nuts. That is that is banana cakes. Yeah. Sounds like you did a little research for this. I did because I mean I think it's an episode that that suggests an amount of research because it is so Alright, so you're shaming me for not doing research. Well I had a lot of shit on my plate today. I'll uh, I'll help you through, man. This is this is what we do on this show. <laughs> where you only see one groove in the sand of a microphone cable. That's uh, that was where I was carrying you. Oh, uh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> I feel like you you carry me on every podcast we do. Well, that that would account for me getting so buff. <laughs> Doesn't even oh, feel man. like working out when you're just doing the work. I had a fucking day, man. I had. Uh, Do you want to share? I don't know if I talked about this on anything before, but somebody, my car was parked. Barely ever drive a car, but we have a car. It was parked on the street. Somebody rammed into the back of it, did Mm -hmm. $1,500 of body damage, and I had to go have it, have it uh, fixed at the body shop. But, uh, and it was like one of those things where they were telling me it was going to be done tomorrow for like five business days in a row. Oh yeah, you've you've entered the uh, the auto body industrial complex, Ben. That's time does not exist there. Those guys need to learn about the under promise over deliver precept <laughs> of client relations. Not a lot of Scotties over there, right? No, no. The guy the guy is not preserving his reputation as a miracle worker. <laughs> I gotta say, Ben, I have seen your car post collision, and I 
Like, it's not like it was totally accordioned in, but I'm shocked that it was only 1500 bucks. That's great, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I just had to pay a deductible yeah. uh, on the on the auto insurance. Uh-huh. The insurance company uh, marked it down as an accident, comma, my fault, so our insurance went up, so we have to fight them on that. Because yeah, because you're making a claim. Yeah, but it's uh, it's. Sh- I mean, the person on the phone told me our our rate won't go up because hmm. it was a hit and run, which is like how they how the fuck can they blame you for that? Yeah. But anyways, it was one of those one of those days. I was also <laughs> hit and run, but I have no conclusion to my story. It's still being investigated. Yeah, well, you giving them basically ironclad evidence showing the license plate and photos of the faces of the two people in the car would uh, would lead me to believe that that's something that they've got to work around the clock down at the crime lab on. <laughs> yeah, they're working in shifts. <laughs> God damn it. Everything sucks. I want to live in Star Trek, Adam. I, you know what? Put me in a fucking cage and give me a fantasy about a great life. Wow. Let's talk about that more as we use our our off-season Star Trek Discovery program to do a little bit of research about Star Trek Discovery. That's the reason we're watching episodes like these, and uh, in today's case, that would make the unaired pilot of the original series, and it's called The Cage. I mean, this is OG pre-series Star Trek and there are a, there's a lot of evidence of that you know they didn't have all the sounds and uh, and look and feel stuff worked out quite in this pilot episode as is often the case it feels like it might be the thing that made fan film people think that they could do it <laughs> you know yeah. like very inspirational in its in its shabbiness wouldn't you say yeah, there's the opening uh, shot is you know like there's we get the ship zooming past a couple of times and then a like a an, a surprisingly I would say shockingly crappy optical effect of <laughs> zooming into the dome on the top of the saucer section of the OG Entrepreneur into the bridge. Uh, like not like they didn't even use a plausible camera angle of the bridge for this effect. It would seem as though the remaster budget was not extended to this episode. Like no, th- these are old model shots of yeah. the ship for sure. Yeah, that surprised me. I thought that this would qualify for that kind of of remaking, but no dice. The other thing that surprised me was the the runtime of the episode is just like a kind of random. More than an hour? Yeah. It's not a double episode. It's not a single episode. It's just like, this is the amount of time we want to tell the story of this pilot. Like, the story about how this thing got made goes like Gene Roddenberry showed up in a producer's office with like a stack of story ideas. And this was one of the ones in the stack. And it kind of makes me feel like the way pitching may have worked back then was that you're pitching the the story and then you're going to make the story, but you're not encumbered by any kind of runtime barrier. You're just you're just proving your concept, and that's very much how this episode felt to me. Yeah, like, almost as if it was never intended to air. Yeah, in the I- way the, in the way the pilots often are. Like you shoot the pilot, and that's often the first episode. 
it's it was a different time and like it it's so interesting because there's th- things about this that are stupendously crappy and cheap looking but like the fact that it exists is a crazy expenditure of resources for something that was never in, really intended for public consumption i also like i have to love it for its its being the cause of everything that we enjoy about star trek now like it is indeed shabby, like you say, but I couldn't help but feel like a weird like nostalgia for it and like an appreciation for its existence. Like it's it's not good in a number of areas, but without <laughs> it, what would we have? We would have day jobs, Ben. Yeah. Without it we would have day jobs. It's a great <laughs> way to think about it. On uh, on Captain Pike's Enterprise, everyone slouches. It it appears as though like no one has that that bit of programming to remind you to sit up straight. <laughs> it's a very yeah. slouchy ship. Yeah, everybody's, uh, you know, very go-go, very chill. All the sounds are very annoying. Check the circuit. Uh, I guess they're getting they're getting a distress signal is why. They're, they're kind of unsure what they're getting initially, but, uh, but what they work out is that it's a... Uh, like a radio broadcast from 18 years ago. It's traveled 18 years through space to uh, to get to them. And it's uh, the news is that uh, a ship went down on this uh, this other planet, and uh, perhaps uh, there might might be survivors. But uh, they're they're kind of in a mode where they're they're licking their wounds. The the ship has been in a bit of a scrape, and they're actually trying to get people to hospital. So. Uh, Captain Pike makes the decision that uh, they're not going to look into this distress signal because they don't have any any strong reason to believe that there might actually be uh, survivors this this long after the thing that they're talking about. I was shocked by this. This seems like the least Star Trek decision <laughs> that any captain on a Star Trek program has ever made. Like, distress signal? Go ahead and ignore it? It made me think a lot about... Uh, Pike's decision to go down and rescue the people on the Hiawatha. Like, I was yeah. I was looking constantly for comparisons between this Pike and the Pike we get in Discovery, and this feels like something that they they chose to revise or to give Discovery Pike another chance at. Even though, like in this episode, Pike does indeed investigate like that. Just the anti Starfleet idea of yeah of ignoring this in order to go about your business is it just feels uh incongruent he uh I, I don't get the sense that the ethos and world building is really complete in this yeah in this version of star trek i don't know how much thinking they've done about what what the rest of the world these people inhabit might be like pike in discovery is picard like in his dedication to the principles of starfleet and right. this Pike does not quite feel like that in my... This Pike is a quitter. <laughs> kind of. Like, he has that conversation with uh, with Dr. Boyce uh, over martinis in his, in his quarters. And, yeah. and Pike's like, yeah, I don't think this is the life for me. This kind of sucks. <laughs> and Boyce is like, hold on there, mister. Like, maybe, uh, maybe we should have some of these martinis and chill. Like, you don't want to make a big life choice. Uh, before you have martinis. We both get the same two kinds of customers. I kind of like this doctor. Yeah, this one's for the boys. 
<laughs> I dug his whole deal. He reminded me of uh, Doc Coddle from Battlestar Galactica, like sort of an old grizzled country doctor. Mm. I dug him. I'm not familiar. I did like his little uh, his little mobile bartending kit, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's the sort of thing that if you ever saw it in a uh, in a thrift shop, you would just have to buy it. It's it's just too cool. I would have no defenses against a beautiful leather mobile bartending kit like this. Uh, yeah. I immediately clocked it as a non-medical device, and I, I was like, are they going to make this a medical thing? <laughs> I was very relieved when it wasn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, Pike is experiencing... A thing that, like, I feel like ER doctors experience, like the like the burnout of moral responsibility yeah. and and mortal responsibility. It's something that bad people don't ever have to face. Just the fatigue of doing good. Yeah, it's hard. Well, and something that I never have to face because I never have anybody's life in my hands. <laughs> so, bad people and idiot Star Trek podcasters both have this in common. <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh, there's Ben Harrison living on Easy Street. Mm-hmm. His uh, his hands unchapped from labor. Yeah, this is actually a, a dilemma that Kirk faces in the uh, the third J.J. Abrams verse Star Trek film. Oh, that's interesting. Is it? Yeah. Which one is that? Is that Star Trek? Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, Star Trek Beyond, the one where they surf on spaceships. Yeah, so I thought that that was interesting that that theme, that theme that is kind of half-heartedly hung on the plot of the third J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek film is actually present in the original Star Trek thing. Cocktail time is interrupted uh, by Spock, who says that he is able to confirm there are survivors on Talos and gets a fax from the planet. Yeah. That, uh, that supports his claim. So everyone gathers around the fax machine. <laughs> Spock like inhales deeply from the paper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like that's the shit. Oh man, that toner. Nothing <laughs> smells like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one martini in, uh, Pike takes this fax and realizes <laughs> that they cannot ignore the distress signal any longer. They uh, they set their uh, their time warp for Factor 7, and they head to Talos. This scene made me think a lot about the pilot of TNG, where they decide to, like, use the theme song and show off the cool thing that the ship does. Yeah. Like, this entire sequence is fucking bonkers. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, you could have just cut that out, and we would have been that much closer to an actual episode runtime. It feels like a full 60 seconds of, like, cross-dissolve of Starfield onto the bridge and then, like, swelling theme song music. Yeah. Did they think that that was going to be how it went every time? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been great if that's what happened every time they separate the, separated the saucer? <laughs> Just why is this episode fifty six minutes? Well, we had to we had to spend seven minutes showing those bolts withdrawing into the into the star yeah. drive section after the saucer separated. Yeah, they get right up close to Talos, and it's uh, it's Pike Spock. Jose Tyler, uh, two random crew people, and a crew person, Sherpa, that beam down to Talos. We meet Jose Tyler in this scene, who's the helmsman. I don't know what else you would say about him other than uh, 
I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. I feel like we're supposed to know so much more about Jose Tyler, but... Yeah, he's a character that's going to get a lot of development, like Chekhov, but... Yeah, but but nothing. You think uh, you think Jose Tyler is, uh, like, cousins with Ash Tyler? It feels like in name alone that's, that's the callback. Yeah. The sound effects in the transporter room, like, it sounds like dangerous and radioactive how loud yeah. it is when they go in there you know what i love about it is there seems to be like a a spread of age among the crew members on this ship that i really like like the transporter chief is a 68 year old man yeah like back there doing the work he's like an older blue collar seeming guy like yeah there's a Definitely, like, feels like a class distinction, too, because he's got, like, a totally different type of uniform. Yeah, transportman seems to be a trade right. in this universe. Right. That guy's making minimum, and uh, <laughs> and everybody else is on salary. Yeah, he's hot bunking it, <laughs> for sure. On the planet's surface, they uh, they find an encampment pretty fast, and it's, uh, it's filled with olds and also Vena. Yeah. There's been a little time doing the kind of, like, wonderment of walking around an alien world, which I feel like is something that you do in episode one of something. Yeah, which which they stop doing forever, right? Right, because like, at a certain point, it's routine to be in a weird alien environment. Yeah. But yeah, they, they like, they find the singing flowers and everything, and then they find the, the encampment. It seems like the encampment has primarily focused their efforts on distilling alcohol because there's a big pot still in the middle, in the middle of their camp. <laughs> I really like that that's like, well, you know, like there's nothing to eat or do around here, so we might as well get drunk all the time. Bear Grylls talks about this all the time, right? You want to you wanna make shelter first. Yeah. You want to get access to clean drinking water, and then you want to get to work on that still. <laughs> yeah, he advanced the theory of making brandy out of your own piss, right? Right. Yeah, that that piss brandy is a uh, strong stuff. <laughs> uh Vina comes out and she's kind of stopped everybody dead in their tracks cuz everybody else is like an old dude and she's a, a very lovely young woman and she's s- sort of at a loss for words too. Kind of talking to Pike like, "Wow, I've never seen anybody that seemed fuckable before." <laughs> You're great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I regret wearing this dumpy sweater. <laughs> <laughs> but uh a lot of this we see uh on a view screen uh in from inside the original Star Trek cave where right. uh Talosian big brains are watching it. We get a lot of these scenes in this episode and a lot of like thinly veiled observations. Uh, about each other, really. Vina will pat his nuts and be like, boy, you got a great big hog there, mister. Like <laughs> like a real real prime breeding stock. And then like Dr. Boyce will be like, boy, these for being crash survivors, these guys are in great shape. Like they're, they're just sort of like passing this information back and forth about each other. Yeah. Sizing each other up. Yeah, and uh, she uses language that is very... Uh, clinical when she's describing yeah. how big Pike's dong is. I didn't get that last message, Captain. Uh, which is explained away as as being, you know, having been the only child among older sciencemen. All she's ever done for an entire life is like smell old man breath. Yeah, yeah. 
So Gross. you can only imagine her her relief in these moments. Yeah. Um, but she kind of leads Pike away from the the rest of the group to uh, show him, uh, you know, something. And uh, what this winds up being is just a ruse to get him alone so that uh, one of these big brains can, like, come out from behind a rock and and stun him and uh, and take him back underground. He gets orange Patronist. <laughs> yeah, kind of looked like the uh, like the pepper spray in uh, all those photos of like the uh, that cop spraying all the kids at UC Davis during the <laughs> Occupy protests. Yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah. kind of that that type of look to it. Um, I hope that guy's miserable wherever he is. I really love the color palette of this planet. Yeah, I do too. It's crazy how much better the psych is in this episode than in any episode of season one TNG. Yeah, they they actually like put Sky and, and you know, like TNG would often have a psych that was just like, hey, it's just pink. Yeah. A pink gradient. And this is... Like off deep into the distance, there's atmospheric perspective of a of an environment. You can imagine what it feels like to be on this planet. It's not perfect, obviously, but yeah, it's uh, it's a lot better than a pink gradient. It would appear as though they just have more space for sets like this back in the day. Yeah, like your constraints in in the TNG era were like studio hangar. Right. They appear to have more room uh, in the '60s. Indeed. This elevator goes down, and the crew realizes that their captain is being abducted, and they come, uh, just light it up. They're shooting lasers at it. Uh, the phaser has not been introduced to the cannon yet. It's got that series of settings that a Play-Doh playset has, where you, like, turn the die yeah. and extrude different shapes. <laughs> yeah. It seems like that kind of technology. Yeah. Spock is uh, doing it entirely on the spaghetti function, and they're like, come on, Spock, put it on kill. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. Pike is in prison next to some kind of chicken man. Yeah. And I love life! Doesn't seem like a good neighbor to have, uh, especially when morning comes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a uh, there's a house at my neighborhood where they have a rooster and a chicken, mm-hmm. and uh, my dog is always really excited to walk by that house because he would like to bark at the at the birds. Yeah. And uh, one time he barked at the lady that was like working in the yard that lives in that house, and I felt really bad. What was she doing? She was just like doing a little gardening, you know. But uh, yeah, you don't deserve that. No, I mean it's hard to convince a dog that the that the yard with the weird birds in it that he's never seen anywhere else is not an exciting thing to bark at mm. so i apologized this kind of like clinical condescension that we got earlier on in the camp has appeared in the prison because the telosians appear and observe pike and then level this kind of condescension in their observations of him they're like telepathically observing him and all of their observations are sort of uh insults they have not padded his groin this kind of seems like a an alien zoo initially Mm -hmm. it sort of seems like there's a bunch of these uh eponymous cages in this uh in this hallway and that the telosians might be you know might just have him there as a curiosity but 
They seem particularly interested in him and really do drag him for being intellectually inferior to them. Right. Uh, They refer to an experiment that they can soon begin. And at this point, we do not know what that experiment is. Yeah. Back on the Enterprise, uh, Spock is running a McLaughlin group with Dr. Boyce, number one, Jose Tyler, and J.M. Colt. These names sound like porn names, Ben. <laughs> they really do. You ever see a movie with J.M. Colt in it? Oh, yeah. Great Big Dong. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sort of meeting where no one knows anything, and the propositions are are just, like, totally speculative. Like, I don't know where they went. When Spock shows the, like, 12-year-old's drawing of a Talosian, everybody yeah. should just throw their hands up and be like, we're fucked. Uh, is this honestly... What the kind of the kind of visual aids you're using? It it does not engender a lot of confidence in uh, in, in their ability to rescue the captain. <laughs> it is bad. Was Gene Roddenberry like sitting around going like, oh, we gotta have some visual aids for the meeting scene? I'll get my son Rod to draw one of these guys. Yeah, it is a Captain Picard day level of, <laughs> of artistic <laughs> prowess here. <laughs> So we cut back and forth, right? We're on the Enterprise, we're on the surface, or we're in the cave with the Telosians and Pike. Yeah. And uh, the Telosians are demonstrating their psionic powers. And uh, one of their first tricks is making Pike experience Rigel 7 again. And before, we were told, you know, they're they're licking their wounds after the Battle of Rigel 7. In my mind, I was thinking... Boy, those those Rigel people have got to be complete badasses with technology, able to fight off a Federation attack. Like, what is this going to be? Unfortunately, those that live on Rigel 7 are like mole people with swords and loincloths. I have no idea how these guys kick the asses of of those on the Enterprise. What was the Enterprise doing (laughs) on a planet with primitive people like this? And why did they, why were they so poorly provisioned that they couldn't win an axe fight? <laughs> Pike needs to be court-martialed and stripped of command. <laughs> Not a good look, Captain Pike. <laughs> yeah. Very bad. Yeah. He's there with Vina, who... Who was not in, in, you know, she's an addition to the memory, and he talks about that, like, what... Yeah. And it becomes clear that, like, over, there, there are several of these flashbacks, and... She be, she is not into the idea of him interrogating the fact that she's been inserted into a memory like this at all. Yeah. Uh, it causes her great consternation. So she takes great umbrage every time he does it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and what we come to understand is that the Talosians are kind of, they're kind of like dream junkies and Pike is the dope. Right. Uh, they're, uh, they've finally found an alien that can provide them with a, a rich supply of internal imagination uh, because they've, they've lived under the surface of their planet for thousands of years. Like the surface is just becoming capable of supporting life again. And their, their big plan is like, we love getting super high on, on thoughts and dreams. And if we can get like a a community of humans here on this planet, we can just uh, invade their brains all the time and go on living life like that. It's a weird, like, form of laziness, right? Because I think, like, Vina, uh, 
Bina refers to this at some point in the episode, the the experience on Talos that scorched the earth and then everyone went underground. Like you mentioned all of that, but like their reason for for not wanting to rebuild seems to be one of of just having too much fun with the psionics. Yeah. They've become kind of well, I think that they've like evolved to be dependent on it, you know, like yeah. they're they're they can't survive a like a normal life anymore. Right. And for all of their cockiness around their mental abilities, they're actually kind of they're they're like addicts. They're they're under the sway of those abilities. Yeah. So Pike isn't down to be a lab rat in this experiment, but that doesn't stop him from killing the loincloth-man. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the rest of the Enterprise crew has set up a laser cannon to shoot at the door. <laughs> I loved this. It doesn't work, Ben. No. It doesn't work at all. But boy, like, protective eyewear goals, right? Now when you're setting up a giant laser cannon... <laughs> To destroy a Telosian door, you're going to want to wear personal protective equipment, (laughs) up to and including yellow shooting goggles. (laughs) In case there are any sparks or pieces of debris that fly back in our faces, (laughs) we've insulated the outsides of these goggles with thick insulation. Now, one of the dangers of shooting anything on Talos Far (laughs) is not knowing... If you're scattering any dust or particulate matter into the atmosphere, (laughs) we recommend a dust mask just in case. We're using a ship-to-surface powered laser to try and cut through this door. Unfortunately, the Talosians have used a foil-faced polyisocyanolite foam board for insulation, (laughs) and our laser cannot penetrate. We will shoot the doors and do the other things. (laughs) (laughs) We will try and rescue Captain Pike, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. I love failure in Star Trek. Yeah. There is a ton of shit in this episode that doesn't work, and this is one of those things. It's fun to see and uh, and and makes it feel like pretty scary that he's down there. I thought it was interesting that it was the doctor making the case for this and not Spock. Like, they had kind of not nailed what Spock's character was yet. Yeah. But the the case that the Talosians are masters of of putting illusions in people's minds, and for all they know, they could have successfully blown the top off of this yeah. mountain, and uh, and they're just unable to experience it as such. Spock is such a weird character in this episode because you could have given his dialogue to anyone. There's. Nothing about what he's saying or doing that makes him unique as an alien. Yeah, and he never says anything about, like, no comment is made of his alienness. They are fully leaving what he is and, and, and what he is like for future episodes. I guess the only thing that carries forward is later on in the episode, Spock wants to leave the captain behind. And I guess that could be a needs of the many versus needs of the few thing. <laughs> if you, if you like really squint your eyes yeah. and look at what, <laughs> and try to look at it through that lens. Yeah. There are a number of uh, memories that Pike gets sent back through uh, yeah. and including like a fantasy about him visiting like, Mojave on Earth, which has been sort of terraformed to be much more temperate 
climate wise mm-hmm. than the actual Mojave is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Vina is there as his wife, and like his horse is there. Uh, there's a little product placement for Thermos brand insulated uh, soup container. Ben, I would never want a picnic next to a horse. <laughs> like, that would be bad, right? Like, the, the horse just ends up rocketing piss into <laughs> the grass next to you. Not enjoyable. Um, I mean, I, I guess so. Uh, it's it's not like every cowboy has a choice of whether or not his horse is going to be nearby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I, I know that in jazz horse you would probably just shoot your horse and then and then set up camp. Right, or ride my horse off of a cliff. Yeah, and then blow him up with dynamite. These are things that have happened, not intentionally, of course. Yeah, I, not a monster. I've kept my horse the entire time. Wow, sounds like someone's playing it pretty safe. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm careful with Trogdor. You're a real white hat cowboy, Ben. <laughs> I'm the one who's not cooperating. Why don't you punish me? You know what I deserve as punishment for killing my horse? <laughs> I deserve to be put into a flaming vomit pool, which is what Captain Pike is put into. Yeah. Uh, like, Vina talks about a punishment that she somehow, that she sometimes is subject to by the Telosians, and we don't see it until Pike is put there, and it is... She keeps, so much vomit. She keeps saying, you don't want to go to oatmeal hell, do you? And he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> and then he finds out. I thought that was like a very inventive, terrifying image. You know, it's not just fire. Indeed. Like the fact that it's fire and like wet with crap in it. It really gets your gag reflex going, I think. It is nasty. Yeah, it's way more gruesome than uh, than the Armus pool, I think. Yeah. Like, if they had mixed oatmeal into the Armus pool, forget Oof. it. Like, that's terrifying. <laughs> what Armus needed to really evoke uh, the fear response was chunks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they were in the peanut butter aisle, and they just grabbed the wrong jar. <laughs> yeah, he's too creamy. Armus is way too creamy. <laughs> Uh, we also see a, a fantasy in which uh, Pike is some kind of slave king, uh, and and Vina is an Orion, uh, which is another thing that is very weird about this episode. Like the suggestion in, is made in that scene where he's having martinis with the doctor, like oh, maybe I'll retire from starship captaining and become a slaver on Orion, and the doctor is not like what. <laughs> <laughs> he has no moral outrage. It's like, you, you, you wouldn't like to do that as a job, you know? It's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> like like me suggesting I uh, quit podcasting and, and get a job, I don't know, working as a, as a carpenter's apprentice. It's like that level of moral uh, outrage that the, <laughs> that the doctor is showing, not like me quitting podcasting and joining ISIS, <laughs> you know? It's it's sixty sensibility though, right? Right. I was shocked that the episode had the restraint not to put anyone in brown face yeah. at any point, you know? Just green face. I guess good job by them. Sometimes things from the sixties uh need to get an attaboy just for being not that. I wanna give it up for Susan Oliver in this episode. She does a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, for story, for dialogue, and also with costume and makeup. Like, she wears a ton of shit. She wears scarification makeup later. She gets painted green. She does a lot, and yeah. she's great. Yeah, she is great. I would say that where the episode does get problematic is when the Talosians realize that maybe Vina isn't quite 
Pike's cup of tea, so they beam down number one and his yeoman. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, the Telosians are like, if you're not down with Vina, uh, maybe you can have, like, this three-pack of women. Yeah, may- maybe some of your co-workers are more to your liking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is after Pike has said the thing about, like, I'm not... I'm, it's, I just can't get used to women being on the bridge and then like turns to Majel Barrett and goes like, I mean, uh, you're different, but... Bleh. God, it's so embarrassing. Like the, the Telosian is like, uh, you know, they've both thought about you yeah. in that way. <laughs> and then he raises, uh, you know, he makes a circle with two fingers and then pokes pokes it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the Telosian does like blowjob pantomime. <laughs> Not a great look at uh, this point in the episode, but... Uh, this is the part that Spock, like, that pushes Spock over the edge. As soon as number one and J.M. Colt are, are taken from the ship, Spock is like, all right, we're leaving. We cannot beat this threat. Uh, except the ship doesn't respond. Yeah, they do the thing where uh, Han and Chewie push the lever forward on the Falcon and, yeah. and the uh, hyperdrive does not engage. And, it, nope. and furthermore, everything starts to just go go dead. This is the, the all is lost. Like three of the crew, including the captain, are trapped down on the planet. The ship is dead in space and, uh, you know, at risk of probably falling into the, into the gravity well or whatever. One of the differences between this Spock in this episode and any other version that we've seen is that as soon as the ship breaks down, Spock is like, God! Damn it! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Fucking piece of shit! <laughs> Scotty! <laughs> it's uh, it's him and Jose Tyler just yeah. like beating on the thing with a wrench. Yeah, yeah, pulling a pulling components out. Nothing works. Yeah. Uh, the Telosians start downloading the computer core, which I, I uh, was amazed by because that is. I felt like such a such a TNG idea. So many times the yeah. mysterious alien has downloaded the contents of the computer and come to understand something about about the the ship and the crew and the culture they came from. I liked that uh, the original series Enterprise's computer core is uh, everything's on microfiche. (laughs) It's all like encyclopedia pictures of Richard Nixon and shit. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, totally amazing. (laughs) Like old, old stupid comic strips. Yeah. They managed to get the drop on uh, the the main Telosian, the one that wears the, uh, the giant necklace you know he's he's got the clock around his neck so you can know the time i thought it was interesting that every telosian in this episode was played by a woman wow they uh they wanted to emphasize like the alien genderless sort of like strange appearance of them is is not just about their heads it's about like their diminutiveness and boy I, i didn't even notice that i definitely thought to myself that they were good weird aliens yeah. A Telosian makes a huge mistake because uh, for as as smart as they are they're made into being, one of them decides that the best way to take the phasers away from Pike is to sneak into his cell. <laughs> and as soon as he does, 
Pike grabs them by the neck and, like, strangles them. Starts, like, licking shots around the cell with the with the laser and basically says, like, uh, you know, I've, I've called your bluff. Like, maybe you're, maybe these don't work, but maybe you're just doing something to make it, make us not believe that they work. And the next thing I'm going to test this on is your dome. So maybe drop the illusions if you, if you want to live. It feels like this is one of those effect sequences that we get for like the eighth time at this moment. Like there are a lot of dissolve to effect sequences in yeah. this app, whether it's transporting or like dropping the veil that the Telosians put up, uh, like obscuring, you know, things that have been truly damaged. It, there's a lot of this happening and a lot of like splitting the shot in half in order to do it. Yeah. And you can still see the seam because of the way that, you know, Yeah, like they must have done this in post, but one thing uh, I did on a student film in college was we, we did an effect where a guy was walking across a bridge and then like his torso and his legs split and, and like the legs turn around and go the other direction. Right. And we did it by like literally matting off half of the lens and shooting one half of it and then rolling the film back in the camera and matting off the other half of the lens and shooting the other half of it. And it's just about like reading the timer on the mag and, and seeing like, you know, how, how to line it up. It's really fun seeing these sequences, I yeah. think. Like, they're not great by today's standards, but I found them very enjoyable. Yeah, it's, I love the level of special effects in this, in this episode seem, seem really fun and cool. Yeah. Uh, this Telosian gets out of this pickle by by asking to be released or they have the power to destroy the ship. And Pike, after having shot a hole in his cage, uh, leaves through it and leaves this Telosian behind. Yeah, but uh, the Telosians have, uh, have now had time to look through the computer records of the Enterprise and they make the case that um, they didn't realize how badly humans would react to being uh, locked up in a cage. He says, like, uniquely ill-suited to captivity like this, and and that's a shame because they can't in good conscience capture Pike in that context, but also he was kind of their last best hope to survive as a species. The lead Telosian is like, we read all about your Richard Nixon. (laughs) It told us all we needed to know about humanity's capacity for imprisonment. (laughs) Like, you didn't lock that guy up. (laughs) You guys really hate being locked up. Yeah. Yeah. This scene is crazy because number one sets her phaser to grenade mode and Pike proposes trading himself for Colt and number one, like he's willing at one point to sacrifice himself to save the lives of everyone on his ship. But all of this happens so fast that like his sacrifice is never made into a truly big deal because as soon as we are made to recognize it, we're on to the next. Yep. Which is the appearance of Pike two as a gift for Vina to live with. Yeah. And the revelation that Vina is an old and she was put back together by Telosians who didn't have an instruction manual. Like if they had had uh, the 
access to the enterprise computers beforehand, uh, they wouldn't have quasimodoed her like it looks like they did. The description made me think that she was pretty close to being just peanut butter when they found her. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like she's real fucked up. But uh, like she says, everything works, which sort of implies that she would be able to conceive a child with Pike. Which is, you know, they, what they wanted was her to her to be Eve to his Adam, and so. Either the Talosians don't know about menopause or they have the uh, technology to overcome it. Boy, I, I cannot think of another time I've heard the phrase, everything works, and, and not been as grossed out as I was <laughs> in this episode when Vina says it, because I'm just thinking like... She's got a cloaca, right? Like, <laughs> like, there's no way shit is right down there. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Speaking as somebody where shit isn't right down there, yeah. there's no way shit is right down there. Yeah. Oof. But, like, Pike and team seem satisfied with this resolution, like, which is weird because Vina is clearly a human being who they are choosing to leave behind. Yeah, well, she wants to be left behind. and It's like the humane way. Like, the the supremely misogynistic upshot of this episode is that no woman would ever be willing to leave her beauty and youth behind. And therefore, yeah. uh, like, everybody can understand why they wouldn't rescue her from these diabolical aliens who were trying to use her as a as right, a trap. Right. Yeah. But I guess if you believe that, like, life is quite uncomfortable for her or something in the, in the kind of real world version of her, her if her injuries are, are very painful or something and the Talosians can relieve her of that maybe you can get to this makes sense this could be fixed with just a stitch in dialogue though you yeah. know like by by removing her from the planet it actually kills her or something right they could have easily had that be like like they're literally holding me together with their brains <laughs> and I would go yeah. back to peanut butter and not Creamy peanut butter, chunky. I am become colostomy bag. <laughs> sort of a weird button on this episode. We're back on the bridge, and uh, and it's basically everyone asking Pike who would have been his sperm receptacle had he had the choice. Oh, God, that was so fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> hey, boss, now that you're back in the office, uh, which of the ladies here here in the office would you like to bang the most? I mean, if you're going to ask, if you even have that relationship with your captain, this is something that happens in the quarters, Doc, over martinis, clearly. (laughs) Why don't you keep it off the bridge, man? Yeah. Not good. Not good. But they warp off into the wild blue yonder and leave Planet Talos 4 behind. I've got to believe that any, any network executive who this was pitched to would have to be at least medium impressed by it, Ben. Did you like the episode? I found myself like much more engaged in it than any other time that I've attempted to watch this because I have fired it up on Netflix once or twice mm-hmm. in my life and uh, and taken a run at watching it. And I feel like every time I've gotten to that part where they kind of like dissolve stars over over Pike's face for yeah. a long time. I've just been like, this is so beyond dumb and bad. I can't, I can't hang. <laughs> and knowing that I was going to finish watching the episode today, I feel like was a good, 
it was a good thing because I, I was able to push through that part. And, yeah. You know, and, and watching old things like this, you can't um, apply your own 2019 idea of how the world works to the way you uh, interpret interpret yeah. these things like uh, you know like i i think for uh, as a product of its time it's it's good and fun it's like uh, it's like reading the autobiography of ben franklin there's a lot in it that is execrable and shameful in you know from our modern perspective but it's like a fucking great read and uh and a pretty interesting tale uh in spite of that yeah i agree with you i think it is not totally retrograde I think I think it actually shows a lot of respect for Vina. She, yeah. in the end, ends, ends up making her own choice, right. which I think is good. Like they don't they don't force their decision on her. Her story is tragic in a way I found affecting. Right. And like in a in a weird way, like I'm I'm grateful that this episode exists. Like I said, because it made a lot of other things possible. It's just feels like a fucking miracle that they got a second bite of the apple like to to have this rejected and then and then to be asked for another pilot that that's just wild what about the uh connection it has to to star trek discovery how did you feel about um fleshing this story out because i mean in the episode where they go to talos there is a very long previously on that is cut from some of this footage it made me laugh because thinking back on that on that pre-roll for that Discovery episode, I was like, they took every good part of this episode and turned it into a nice little reel. That was tight. <laughs> I am medium satisfied with watching The Cage uh, in its relationship to Discovery. It makes me want to watch The Menagerie Part 1 and 2 now because there's a series of episodes in Season 1 and this isn't just me manipulating us into watching more TOS, mm-hmm. but like there are sequels to this pilot that occur in mainline original series where wow. where this planet is returned to and Pike returns in that weird chair and it is it's true OG Star Trek with Kirk and Spock and like the rest of the crew that we know and love coming back and it it makes me want to watch that to sort of complete the package this feels like an incomplete bit of research uh if what we're trying to do is really figure out everything we can about pike well i'm game i'm uh i'm happy to uh put those as the next couple of episodes of the greatest discovery if you are yeah let's do it i I think i'd like to do that it would feel like things were unfinished if we didn't yeah well do you want to check if we have any priority one messages Things would feel unfinished if we didn't do that, Ben. Good point. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have a priority one message here. It is of a personal nature. It's from Mike and Mock, Jackson Stoner, and Pat, Meowm, and Eckerkst, Art and his wife, Nads and Baby Vlads, Bingo, and Trigar. Everyone chipped in about uh, about four dollars here. A lot of ands in there. Yeah, cut out the ands. Use an ampersand. <laughs> yeah. That'll cut down on your characters. It is for Kristar Shrimp 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 Colgar. Goes like this: one shrimp, two shrimp, red shrimp, blue shrimp, shrimp 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 shrimp. Have fun on your upcoming trip to the big shrimping conference. 
Conferences are dangerous. So be careful not to die in a tragic shrimp boat accident. Looking forward to seeing your intentional male pattern baldness haircut when you return. Ta-ta for meow. I'm Chris Dar Shrimp Colgar, and I'm on my way to a big shrimping conference. But I'm never going to get there because I'm about to have a giant accident. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this isn't some dark timeline Canadian PSA we just read the script for. Yeah, that would be terrible. Stay safe, Chris Dar Shrimp Colgar. I had a friend in college who did intentional male, male pattern baldness haircut on purpose several times. I do not get that. <laughs> well, Adam, some people don't think it's a bad look. Some people intentionally go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and fill out a priority one message. They do that, Ben, because it's a great, great way to support the ongoing production of this show. That is a really good point about the production of this show. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. Uh, this is guy. This guy appears pretty early in the app. That weird opening, o- opening shot, and uh, and we're and we're hanging out on the bridge for a while. And at one point, a guy comes onto the bridge and pulls a piece piece of paper out of a folder and tries to hand it to Pike, but Pike just ignores him, <laughs> and sort of just defeated. The guy sticks the piece of paper back in the folder and shakes his head. That's great. I had I have so many questions about that. Like, what was on the paper? What did he want Pike <laughs> to know? What like is this guy like giving Pike like the the office pool results from the you know from college football? And Pike is like not right now, or is it something more important? That's great. Yeah. Anyways, I love that guy, and and I love uh, how much how much paperwork there is on yeah on the Enterprise in this episode. Yeah, where does it all go? I don't know. Uh, my Shimoda is helmsman Jose Tyler uh, for a very specific moment. When they go to warp, to time warp factor seven, <laughs> there is a moment where... How, are we, how is Pike to know what factor he's put in? Uh, he holds up seven fingers during their <laughs> transit as if to say, we're going this many. Yeah, and that—that that is the most hilarious way to share this information with your captain. I think. Yeah, it's like the last time I took a road trip with my wife, and she asked what we were doing in in the left lane, and I hold up eighty fingers. <laughs> yeah, especially because one of his hands was his thumb and pointer <laughs> to make the the sixth and seventh. Yeah, looked very childlike. Yeah. Jose Tyler, he's my Shimoda. Fun. So it sounds like we have a plan ahead for the next few episodes, Ben. We are going to jump forward in the first season of Star Trek, the original series, and watch uh, The Menagerie Part 1. Yeah. The uh, episode description is, Spock hijacks the Enterprise to return an injured Captain Pike to Talos 4. Hmm. Hijacking. Looks that way. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we'll be back here in a couple weeks with that episode. Yeah, see you then. Take it away, Robs. The greatest discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison, and it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. 
Our theme music is by Adam Ragusea. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.